Hi friends, today we are talking about concert prep and long range planning and specifically some approaches that we might take when it comes to balancing the needs of a concert with the needs of regular teaching. My name is Victoria Bowler and this is episode 52 of Elemental Conversations. A few weeks ago, I got to give a presentation to a group of colleagues about long-range planning, and we were talking about some ways that we can start the long-range planning process for next year, number one, right now, but then number two, starting it with a view towards play and being student-centered and creative and collaborative um, in our long-range planning process. And after that workshop, I got an email from one of my friends who was there, and she said, um, just a, a thanks for the workshop and it was a great time and um, all of that stuff. She said, I do have a question when it comes to planning. My school does a big Christmas program in December that is a fundraiser for my classroom. I basically stop teaching from September to December and I always feel like I'm trying to play catch up from January to May. How can I make sure I'm teaching the concepts and teaching the songs for the program? In reference, it is six songs for each grade level, three for that grade level, and then three to sing combined with the next grade level. Now, after I read that, I sat back and I thought about this uh, grade level distribution of songs, and it took me a second to to uh, put all those puzzle pieces in place. But this is, just as an aside, I think this is a super smart way of putting together a program. So if all second grade is learning three songs and then you have a combined three songs with second and third grade, that's great because right there you have done your transition of getting second grade off the stage and getting third grade on the stage. And it also helps kind of fill out the sound in a way that um, you can really... Uh, uh, the word control comes to mind in terms of repertoire. Um, so it's much less hairy than trying to do the whole school singing something all together, but you still get that big, happy, warm, fuzzy feeling of looking at this big riser set full of smiling, singing students. So I love this, uh, this puzzle piece approach. Uh, this is absolutely, again, this is an aside, but if you are thinking about transitions, then combining classes or combining grade levels or something like that is just a really smart way to get people on and off the stage. I know that when I've done this in the past, it has definitely introduced some new headaches, but it has also eliminated a lot of headaches. So I am a fan of this approach. That's my first thing. I love this idea. The The other thing that comes to mind when I think about this email is just how common of an experience this is for everyone. I think that it's not going too far for me to say that if you have ever cared about your teaching and been responsible for a performance, you have probably felt this tension between what I put on stage and what a typical music class looks like. There seems to be a lot of distance between these two approaches, these two events. And that makes a lot of sense. So my first thing is just, um, this is a very uh, relatable conversation for a lot of us. Let's unpack that just a little bit more when we think about this tension between uh, a performance and quote unquote regular teaching. What is the purpose of a performance? 
And then is there any contrast between the purpose of a performance and the purpose of, again, with quotations, regular learning? Okay, so what's the contrast? And then what is the connection between the two? For all of us, that is going to, these connecting points, those are going to be slightly different because we're all in different teaching settings and scenarios with different students um, and different admin expectations and everything like that. But it's a, it's a clarifying set of questions to ask if you feel a distance between performance and regular teaching, between concert prep and regular musical pedagogy. I want to kind of examine these two modes of teaching, teaching for the concert and teaching for musical learning, because I don't think that they are mutually exclusive, but sometimes I think they can be. So let's uh, zoom into this. And then I'm going to talk about three different hats that we might choose to wear if we feel a tension between these two um, kind of job requirements, if you will. Okay. Um, in learning, if we just talk about a learning classroom, Learning in our rooms is often messy. It is often active. It is collaborative. It is noisy. It is play-based. It is inquisitive. It's creative. All of these things can describe the learning process in a typical uh, Tuesday afternoon second grade class. In the learning process, in our pedagogy, we are using many different medias, right? So we are singing songs, we are playing instruments, we are speaking rhymes, and we are moving around the room. This is uh, four different media that we use to actualize musical ideas. But then even if we uh, want to expand the media, we also have a lot of different skills that we use. So we are developing the skills of singing and playing and reading notation and writing. We are developing the skill of movement and improvising and arranging and orally identifying and listening. All of these skills are also included. And the last big hallmark of our pedagogy of a typical learning experience is that this is sequential. The idea is that we do something today that becomes the jumping off point for what we're doing next week. And what we do next week is the jumping off point for the week after that. And then the year after that, and then uh, on and on and on and on and on from kindergarten through grade five or six or so. So learning in the classroom has a lot of stuff going on. It feels like a uh, kind of like a mosaic or a quilt of a lot of things coming together to create this one beautiful musical experience, or at least it can when it's going well. <laughs> But that also brings up something else that I should have included in this list that I left out. A big part of the learning process is making mistakes. A big part of the learning process is trying something and it doesn't go well. And then we redirect and we try again. Okay, let's contrast that with what performances typically look like, because I think this can add a lot of clarity with why we feel this tension between balancing concert prep and balancing teaching music musical concepts. Performances are very often less active. It is not as likely that we are going to see kids running around the stage and playing a game in a performance. It's much more likely that we will see students standing on risers with their hands by their sides. It is not messy performances. If you have a messy performance, that's not normally something that people say, yay, congratulations. That was such a messy performance, right? We want our performances to be polished. 
It is also less likely that on stage, you're going to see kids uh, raise their hand and give an idea for an ostinato or get in a small group and come up with movements to accompany the text. It is not going to be student-centered in that way. It's not going to be student-driven in that way. It's much more likely that students are showing a product of the teacher's interpretation of a score. So uh, what I mean by that is the teacher uh, informs students of where they need to cut off, where they need to crescendo, uh, where the second part comes in, where the chorus is, everything like that. Um, it, it just might not, and that's not a bad thing. We'll talk about this in a moment. It just might not have as much of students' creative stamp because the purpose is a showcase. The purpose is not the process of learning. And so because it is not the place to showcase the process of learning, there's not really a lot of room for this inquisitive thinking process to happen on the stage with lights on students. Another thing that is different about the, uh, the pedagogy process teaching in the classroom versus a showcase on the stage is that we are probably using one medium. We are probably using singing, or maybe we might be mostly using singing, and we're probably using one skill, likely that is reading notation. So, uh, the, and then and then the last piece of this puzzle that kind of sets these two processes apart in my thinking is this idea of sequential learning. In a performance, the performance is like the top of the mountain. It's like the end of the destination. It's this big, shiny event that happens, and then we all go out for frozen yogurt when it's done. That's it. The performance is the final event because after we're done with this performance, the next day in class, it is unlikely that we are going to continue to work on that same repertoire, right? When we're done, when we're done with the performance, we are done with that learning experience. So when we contrast these two mindsets, teaching and learning versus a performance, we can see how we could get ourselves kind of tied into a pretzel when it's time to think about what balancing these two frames of mind might feel like. They are really, really different. This is a good time for me to say that I do not think that performances are bad. I think performances are wonderful. I think that what they do is really incredibly valuable. Everyone loves this big, shiny top of the mountain. The lights go on stage down in the hall and we see kids like, you know, dance around in their pretty little dresses and grandparents are there and, and all of that. I think that is a really, really beautiful uh, picture of what some musicianship looks like. The tension that I think I feel is if that is the only touch point that the, the community has into the learning process itself. This is a specific view of what some musicianship can look like, but it is the tip of the iceberg when we think about pedagogy, when we think about the teaching and learning process. So which is better, um, performance or teaching and learning? Well, my preference is definitely for teaching and learning because we are music teachers, but it absolutely depends on your goals. So with that in mind, with the understanding that not uh, that, that neither of these approaches is better than the other, let's talk about three different hats that we might wear when we are trying to balance these two mindsets. 
And then at the end, we can all pick the hat we want to wear, and it doesn't have to be the same hat as another colleague. The first hat we'll talk about is adjusting the story about the situation. The second hat is adjusting the program. And then the third hat is uh, adjusting the actual structure of the event. Let's talk about the first one, which is the easiest one. If you are looking for the easy approach, this is it. When it comes to feeling like we are playing catch up for the rest of the year, we are teaching towards the concert, and then we have to cram as much musicking as possible, as much teaching and learning into the rest of the year as we possibly can. This is something that I want to highlight from the original email. I stop teaching and I have to play catch up for the rest of the year. I want to hold space for this, and I want to ask a follow-up question catch up to what I have to play catch up the rest of the year. What are we catching up to? Right? Do you know what I mean? Because if this is our program, if these are our students, if this is our uh, music learning community, then we're already here. There's nothing to catch up to. This is my invitation. If you are willing to put on this hat of adjusting the story, the big question that we might ask ourselves is what are we, what are we running to at the end of the year? What is the destination? Is it Takadimi by the end of second grade? Well, if that is the destination, let's take that away. What if we were to adjust the story? What if I told you that a normal curricular school year runs January through May. And the first part of a normal year is focused on collaborative performance experiences and building repertoire for the second semester. What if I told you that your teaching and learning year starts in January, not September? Would you feel like you are playing catch up then? All right, well, Probably not, right? If that's a typical year, then I would probably just build my scope and sequence around January through May. And I probably would not have any guilt about not teaching musical concepts in, uh, you know, the, the period between September and December. So if we are the ones who write the scope and sequence for our music room, there's nothing to catch up to. We are already there. Here's another, uh, here's another piece of that uh, thought process for me personally, when I wear this hat, if something is happening year over year without fail, like a December concert, if that is something that happens every single year, then that is something that we can structure our years around. It's not a surprise thing that drops in our laps. It's something that we can count on when we are making the scope and sequence for our teaching. So if we have this concert experience and our administration is smiling and our students are smiling and the audience is smiling and we are smiling, then the only problem is this sense of guilt that we are not doing quote unquote it all in our curriculum, right? So the problem is not what we are including in our curriculum. The problem is the story about how what we are doing is not enough by some invisible standards or the standards of a curriculum map that you found on the internet at victoriabowler.com, right? This reminds me of a story. I was reading a textbook about differentiation because that is what I do for fun. And in the foreword, the authors tell a story. I'm going to read just a quick excerpt from it. Don't worry, that won't be long. Um, 
Confused, Betsy says to the teacher, how can I be in level seven in reading when I'm in level three in math and when I'm in grade two? The teacher responds, what's the point of reading things that are too easy for you or working on math problems that you don't understand? And what difference does it make what group you're in? You're just you, aren't you? End of excerpt. I know that this is about uh, differentiation and not about concert prep, and I know that differentiation is its own uh, bag of worms, but when it comes to one of the principles of differentiation, which is looking at students where they are instead of where a label says they need to be by some uh, subjective standard that someone made in an office and they've never met your kids, I think that applies here. It does not matter where we have ended the third grade year in terms of the curricular sequence. It matters who we have ended the year with. There is no prize at the end of second grade when you get to Takadimi, you know? And to circle back to this workshop, one of the things that we talked about is how to construct a year that is breathable and joyful and intentional. So let's zoom in on that, breathable. Let's release this unhelpful statement of third grade curriculum. And instead, let's embrace the statement, my third grade curriculum. Okay, breathable. Let's talk about joyful. There's probably a lot of joy in this December program. And the joy that we have in the classroom is totally independent of ta dimi in third grade. Okay, breathable, joyful, intentional. We can choose repertoire for the program that speaks to our curricular goals. And we can emphasize sequential learning in January through May. We can still have intentional sequential learning and have this concert at the beginning of the year. That statement about uh, choosing repertoire for the program that speaks to our curricular goals, that gets into the second hat a little bit. So let's transition on to, let's take off this first hat of uh, effectively not changing anything, just adjusting the story that we tell ourselves about being behind, about playing catch up, everything like that. Okay, so let's take that hat off. Let's put on this second hat of adjusting the program. This time, let's see if there are any changes that we could make to the program itself so that our time in the classroom feels in alignment with our values for the classroom. We always want our time to be in alignment with our values. And when these things are off, we feel attention in our teaching. My two recommendations if we want to wear this hat are to adjust the songs per grade level and to choose repertoire intentionally. Let's talk about the songs per grade level. In the most simple terms, fewer songs to perform means fewer times, fewer hours preparing those songs. So a really quick way to do this is just to think about how the concert itself can be a little bit smaller. And then perhaps we take up time with, um, with student scripts where students are introducing the program notes. Uh, there are a lot of ways that we can get creative about filling time without taking up a whole lot of time in the classroom. Next week, we will talk a little bit more about how we might fill up some program time uh, if this is the hat that we want to wear. So uh, that is coming next week. Another thing I want to say here is that these combined grade level songs, they do not need to be musically sophisticated in order to be musically impactful. 
do you remember, uh, we've talked about this scene before a long time ago, but that scene in the music man where it's time for Harold Hill actually to have his boys band perform and he hasn't really been teaching them music. He's just been using his think method. Uh, and so now he has to actually step on stage and the kids have to do something. And he knows as the teacher, he has not prepared them in any way for a performance experience. And what comes out is just this big cacophony. It's a huge mess. And, um, you know, you see the look on his face where he's like, oh my goodness gracious, this is it. This is the end for me. I have totally blown it. The, the jig is up. And what we hear in the audience is not, oh, that's terrible. These kids are awful. Instead, we hear, oh my goodness, that's my kid. Look, he's playing the trombone. Oh, look, that's my Johnny, right? And the parents are thrilled that their kid is on stage doing anything. When I watched, and I know I've, I've told this story already, but when I watched that as a kid with my dad, my dad was laughing and he's like, this is what it's like to be a parent. This scene is it. You are just happy to see your kid on stage. You are just happy to be able to pull out your phone and grab a picture and send to grandma, right? So I think I, I want to bring that scene up because from our music teacher brains, a lot of the time when it comes to preparing for a performance, we're like, oh, we have to get this articulation exactly correct. Oh, we're not all crescendoing at the same time. Oh, we need to get this cut off better. Uh, don't forget the open. Oh, right. And what the parent sees is none of that. The parent sees their kid on stage smiling and having a good time. So Definitely, I want us to uh, put on programs of musical excellence, but I also want to balance this musical excellence with a grounded sense in reality that when we put second graders on stage, the audience has a different frame of mind than an audience full of music teachers. So along the, uh, you know, mental train tracks of adjusting the songs that we're using, we can recall this, uh, this understanding of, of what the audience expects, which is to see their kid having a great time on stage, um, singing their heart out, not all of this musically sophisticated stuff that we tend to wrap our heads around. So, uh, that's another area where we can kind of release some of the, uh, pressure that we are putting on ourselves in, in terms of concert prep. Not everything needs to be perfect. And when we spend less of our time on stressing about details of articulation and open vowel sounds, that frees up a lot of time to do other things in the classroom. Again, I do want to stress, we should put on excellent performances. We should just have a, a good understanding of what excellent means in what different contexts. Okay. Uh, the other piece of this is, is there a possibility that students might use songs that they already know? If I saw in this email, the word Christmas. So if this is a Christmas concert, is there a possibility that you might use songs that students already know from their own Christmas traditions? So the first thing is uh, adjusting the songs per grade level. Maybe we make the decision to have a few less songs and take up that time with other things on stage if we need to fill time. The other thing is that, uh, especially with these combined grade level songs, they do not need to be musically sophisticated in order to be musically impactful. And then the third kind of question that I might have is, uh, could we use any songs that students already know? 
The next thing that I want to talk about with this hat of making program adjustments is uh, thinking through some of our criteria for selecting repertoire itself. And where is the overlap between curricular goals and repertoire selection? A while ago, back in episode 20, I uh, talked about some tips for planning concerts. And part of that was the repertoire selection and backwards planning from your uh, repertoire performance date and what students know right now. So again, backwards planning is one of the things that will really, really help us not feel stressed. Because if we are choosing repertoire that is in alignment with the concepts and skills that students will have by December, then we are not worried about preparing music and spending all of our time to prepare music. We can kind of set our expectations up a little bit uh, in a little bit more of an informed way when we take this backwards planning approach. So maybe the grade level songs are songs that you are already using from a pedagogy standpoint in your classroom. Maybe the grade level songs are arrangements of folk songs or or something else that you are using for a curricular purpose, for a student learning purpose. And maybe those include movement and student input, and maybe those really showcase what students are learning in music class. And then maybe the combined songs are more of the performance-driven stand on the risers and sing kind of thing. In terms of the grade level songs, can this be an arrangement? A very quick formula that you might use to arrange a folk song might be uh, rewriting the lyrics to be winter themed and then sing it in a round and add an ostinato. There is a lot that we could do here with just making our own um, interpretations of existing classroom materials. I also want to, if this is something that you're kind of interested in, I would direct you to episode 29, which is about singing harmony in elementary music. And uh, it kind of breaks down some of the ways that we might approach layering in vocal parts to sound really, really cool, really musically sophisticated, but using very simple structures, again, like layered ostinati. So that is that is something that I would be curious about when it comes to the over overlap of what is an artistically satisfying presentation and what is a pedagogically sound learning process, a lot of the repertoire overlap can come down to music that we arrange ourselves. One last little piece on um, on this point is I have also done this with students creating their own words, um, like creating their own lyrics for the song. So not me saying, okay, here's all of the lyrics that we're going to learn. Let's all memorize them together. Uh, this is something that maybe depending on the songwriting experience of your students, maybe this is something that they are getting into groups of four or five and coming up with their own lyrics for a folk song to make it winter themed. So this is for me personally, Personally, this is a very fun avenue to explore, wearing this hat of making some adjustments to the program. Another program adjustment that we could make still wearing the same hat would be maybe it's not a folk song that you change the lyrics to and everything like that. Maybe it is the traditional stand on the risers and sing the song kind of performance piece, but maybe you write a partner melody to accompany the song that uses the melodic material that you're reviewing from last year. And then maybe Maybe you create some ostinati patterns that use the rhythmic material you are reviewing from last year. 
And then for that matter, you might go ahead and decide that you are going to write your own piece of repertoire for performance for your own teaching scenario. Again, there are lots of possibilities here, but the main idea is looking for an overlap between what is pedagogically useful for students and what is artistically pleasing for the audience. All right. The second hat is making adjustments to the program. Let's take off that hat. Let's put on our last hat that we might consider. And this is like a structural overhaul, like scrap it, build it again. This third hat is what if we reimagined this program from the ground up? What if this program was a showcase of learning itself so that it is completely aligned with the curriculum that you are crafting and the curriculum that you are curating for your students? Another way to say this, uh, what if instead of balancing concert prep with regular teaching, what if regular teaching were the concert prep? What if concert prep looked like regular teaching? You probably know where I'm going with this. If you, uh, if you are a friend of mine and you've been listening to this podcast for a little bit, you probably know I'm about to suggest da, 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 an informants. What if instead of a performance where we stand on the stage and we sing songs that we've memorized, what if we can show the audience what a typical music class is like? That's what an informants is. It is not, uh, when we look at the literature about an informants presentation, it is not uh, necessarily synonymous with informal, although I know that there are some people who like to associate that. Um, and I'm not saying that's incorrect. I'm just saying that's not the the literature that, that we have on the origin of this word. It is an informational presentation. It is designed to educate an audience rather than inter entertain an audience. And so from the perspective of um, an education approach to music, this is something that gets me really excited because I love learning. I love showcasing the process of learning. If this does need to be something that you do in December, could it be a December informants? Or if it does not need to be in December, maybe we do something like a group sing-along in December and then an informants sharing at the end of the year. Maybe we make the concert as easy peasy, uh, low prep as possible for us with the understanding that we are going to do a deeper dive into the learning process later on in the year. If here's, here's the other piece of my thought process here. If this is a fundraiser for the music room, what would it be like for the donors and the contributors to see how their contributions are actively being used in the learning process every day? So, uh, one piece that you might consider doing could be uh, a video of kids doing a regular music class activity. And then when you post it on Seesaw or Schoology or the school website or wherever you are communicating this out to your community, what if you said something like, um, hey, these instruments were donated by one of our very generous families in 2017. And after many years, we are still using them to learn how to listen to each other and work in an ensemble. We are playing a Bordoon and we are using it in the song Bow Wow Wow. And you can hear more about what we're learning at our informants on December 6th. 
something like that, a little blurb that says, Hey, we are using these resources that we have gotten from fundraisers in the past in an active way. Here are students actually using them to uh, make mistakes and to collaborate and to create and to learn together. This hat has its own challenges uh, if we are trying to transition from a big, happy, joyful, whole school production to showcasing the process of learning in an informants. Um, there are definitely logistic decisions to be made with this hat, but I do think it is worth um, exploring because of all of the advocacy possibilities that we might have in an informants setting. So that's our third hat is changing from a performance to a full on informants. Okay. Let's talk about, so those are our, our three hats, adjusting the story, adjusting the program, and then adjusting the structure of the event itself. With this, it is uh, the end of the year right now. We are moving into the end of the year here in North American school calendars. This is the time for us to start planting seeds. This is the time for us to look at our calendar year of performances and to think about how we have felt about these performances. And if this is a feeling that we want to continue, if we have felt stressed, like we are behind schedule that we need to catch up. If we have felt some tension here, then this is a good time to think about how we might redirect for next year. So this is where we want to have some conversations with the people who are in charge of the school. We are in charge of musical learning on our campus. Our administration is in charge of things like school culture and um, school-wide events. So this is the time to advocate for teaching and learning music. If, big asterisk, if you feel like there are more effective and student-centered ways to structure your sharing. This is the time to start those conversations with administration. And uh, something that can be helpful is really to get clear on the values for our classroom and see how they align with the values for the school. And then see if there is perhaps a better way to align our musical sharings, our musical performances, concerts, informances, whatever it is, to make sure that there's a lot of alignment alignment between what we showcase for the music room and what the values of the school are and what the values of the music program are. So now let's pick our favorite hat because we want the way we spend time in the music room to be in alignment with our values for the music room. And if we notice a misalignment, then right now here at the beginning of the year, we can begin to move toward a different map for next year, either by wearing the hat of changing the story about our performances. Remember, we're not behind schedule. We make the schedule. The other hat might be making tweaks to the existing performance structure. And, and just as an aside, this would be my hat that I I would wear. And then the third hat could be to reimagine the sharing event itself. We can all choose different hats that serve our purposes. And guess what? We can change our minds next year if we want to make an adjustment. The idea is we are constructing a music teaching life that is breathable, that is joyful, and that is intentional, regardless of what this December sharing looks like. <music>